come this morning in the fourth day, fourth Sunday of Advent. We're joining millions of Christ followers all over the world you know, who, who take this season of preparation before the birth of Christ. It's fascinating that Christmas is perhaps the one religious holiday that the world, maybe not the world, but you know, that most many countries celebrate, even with no religion in it for them uh, at all. Someone may say, I'm celebrating, you know, the spirit of Christmas or it's the spirit of the holidays, which, which is fine, but it is absolutely, I think, at least in America, almost impossible to participate in Christmas and not run into this baby. <laughs> Boy, you know what I'm saying? This child that's born, it's, it's hard to miss. I don't know anyone in the United States. If you listen to the radio or, you know, you go to a concert, you're, you're gonna hear Silent Night. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. You may not know the holy infant, but surely you heard the words. There's a holy infant that is the center of this holiday. Rudolph, Santa, elves, yes, yes, yes. But the holy infant born in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. Perhaps nothing blurs, let's just say, religious from from non-religious in the celebration of Christmas as what sits above us in this room, and that would be the lights. The lights. It's a season of lights. <laughs> you know, we you don't have to be at church to know that. That's you see it in your neighborhood. You see it around the community. Now, for 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 those of us who who know Christ, follow Christ. We know at the center of that, it's, it's, it's a season of lights because Jesus himself, John tells us, and we're seeing that study, of course, and studying through John, in him was life and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the, the beginning of the gospel of John. It's the season of lights, I would suggest, not because this it's, an, it's America or, or it's culture or, or geography. No, I would say it's that way because it is a metaphorical and it, it is a metaphor in a sense, but it is a spiritual reality that's rooted in the story of scripture. Here's the thing about light. Even these lights in this room, I think y'all would agree, if, if the roof were peeled off this building these lights would be relatively insignificant. I mean, why, do, why are these lights hitting us and why do I glint when I look at them and you look at it? Well, because it's dark in the room. In a strange way, it takes the darkness for us to appreciate and see the light. And so this morning, I'm just gonna tell you where I wanna do this morning in this Advent, this fourth Sunday, is I wanna walk us through and I wanna lead us actually into the darkness of Advent. We don't stay there, but Advent absolutely requires us to sit there and to ponder the darkness. You might say, well, I thought you just said the whole thing's about light. It is, it is. But it requires the darkness to appreciate, fully appreciate the light. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a quick biblical survey. So you're gonna have to hold your Bible and I'm just gonna be kind of moving rather quickly through this. I'll have a number of the passages on the screen, but I wanna take us through what I'm calling a brief theology of darkness and light. Brief theology of darkness and light because this whole idea of a season of lights finds its genesis, no pun intended, 
in the story of scripture, in the story of God redeeming his people, in the story that's true and real. Start here, open your Bibles to Genesis 1, all right? Genesis 1, we're gonna start at the very beginning. Genesis chapter one here, the creation account where we're, many are probably familiar with the creation account, but there's, there's something in this creation account that I think, I, I know myself, we can miss, like we kind of skip over it and fly by it in these days of creation. But I want us to begin here as we move through this theology of darkness and light. Follow along in your Bibles, beginning in verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. In the Hebrew scriptures, when we read a narrative, a story, there's great emphasis and there's great significance to that which is mentioned first. Um, lists don't just materialize randomly. Let's start here. Okay, this is first, second, third. No, no, that even the mention of, of a word, even in a sentence is true in the Greek as well because there's no punctuation. So word order is like, you know what I'm saying? If you want an exclamation mark, if you want to make a word an exclamation mark, put it at the front of the sentence. <laughs> That's how, how it works in the Greek. When the Hebrew too, the, the, the firsts are super, super significant. And, and I want to say that just so we can kind of feel a moment to say, well, if that, if that really matters, I wonder if there's really, uh, I don't know, is there anything more important than the first words that God speaks? You feel that? I mean, what he says first echoes... <laughs> And what does he say first? First words. Let there be light. Let there be light. Moses says, and God saw the light and saw that it was good. Separated the light from darkness. Two things about this. First, I'm just going to use a quote from Alan Ross, his commentary on Genesis I'll put it on the screen that you can see it. Let's note this first of all. Ross writes, that which God calls into existence at the outset is light, immediately changing a world enveloped in darkness. It is natural light, physical light, but it is much more. The Bible shows again and again that light and darkness signify mutually exclusive realms, especially in the realm of God and the righteous. (laughs) Darkness is the domain of the evil one and death. Light represents that which is holy, pure, true, life-giving and gladdening. And you're gonna see this play itself out through the scriptures and that's what I'm gonna do in a moment. But I also wanna catch this, wanna catch this one note out of the passage. We're not doing an in-depth study of Genesis. What I'm gonna say in, in some ways raises questions Theologians can look at it differently, but I want to offer this to you to ponder and to hold as we move through the passages we're going going to move through. The sun and the moon are not spoken into being until day three. This is day one. 
what is this light? Don't overthink it. What is this light? Well, there's the earth, formless and void. There's the spirit hovering. And there's God. That in a way I can't fully comprehend, but as God speaks all things into being, the light here is God. And while we'll go on to understand and, you know, you know, see in, in terms of science and physiology that you know, requ- the light of the sun is, is the beginning, is the required for all life. What does the scripture tell us? It's saying to us here that no, no, no. All life requires the light of God. In the book of Exodus, just moving through this, we begin there, but you know, you go through and you see it, and I'm just going to grab a few things. But in Exodus, um, the ninth plague is a plague of darkness. The tenth plague is a plague of death. So really, it's a precursor to that one. And what's fascinating when we read about it, Moses says that that it will be a darkness that is felt. You, you got to sit with that. How dark is it got to be for you to? F- feel the, the, the darkness. And what we see in that part of the redemptive story is it was darkness upon the Egyptians. It says they didn't get up for three days. They didn't get up because they didn't move. They didn't know where to move. They didn't know where was what. But in those same three days, Moses writes, but all the people, this is Exodus 10, all the people in Israel had light where they lived. God's people had light those who didn't worship God had no light. That darkness being a prelude to the 10th plague, which is death, reminds us that in, in death, that's rooted all the way back in Genesis 3 in the fall. And death entered and, and, and death, it's like a vine that just goes out over all of creation. There is no there is no part of creation untouched by the darkness of death and fallenness and there is no human heart untouched by that poisonous vine. We know how the story goes. There's a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire that leads them out of the wilderness. What is that? It's it's light. <laughs> it's the light that leads them out of the wilderness. It is God's presence himself. The psalmist reiterates this, and you'll see these on the screen. Don't need to turn there. Psalm 18, 28. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. The psalmist in 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Not a torch here, but the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Micah 7, 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Seven, if, if, if this podium is the lectern is, is the birth of Christ on a historical timeline, excuse me, 700 years excuse me, before the birth of Christ, uh, the people of God, uh, we're gonna read this, we're in, we're in great darkness and they're in great darkness because they had rebelled against God. Their ears were closed to God. 
Their eyes were not upon God. Their sacrifices were meaningless. They were in rebellion. And in that moment, God sends Isaiah to promise, I'm gonna rescue you. Now just think about that. People in rebellion, rejecting God, but God sends a prophet to say, I'm gonna rescue you from your darkness. It's, a, it's, a, it's quite a familiar passage for us because you can hear it in Handel's Messiah. You know, it's a very Christmas oriented because it speaks of the rescuer. I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're gonna have two passages we're gonna land in. A couple passages we'll land in. This is one. So go to Isaiah 9. I want you to turn there, please. Isaiah chapter 9, <clears throat> verses one through seven. Here's how God describes his rescue of rebellious and fallen people. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Let me ask you this. What, what tense are these words sentences spoken in? Past, present, or future? What's the tense of these words? It's not, I'm not tricking you. Past. Wait a minute. He's speaking in the prophecies in the past tense, but it's about something future. And I'm only camping on that to remind you that's how certain the promises of God are. It's the Hebrew idiom where it's spoken in the past tense. It's, it, 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 y'all, it'll be 700 years before this happens. But the promise comes in the past tense in the Hebrew. Say, this is how confident you can be. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken as on the day of Midian for the boot, for every boot of the tramp of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it with righteousness to, and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will, <coughs> excuse me, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this the birth of Jesus here. 700 years before that, spoken in a past tense. Now, how difficult for them, oh my goodness, I can only imagine how difficult for them to go, God's sending a deliverer. Uh, it's a child that's gonna be born. He's got the name of God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, it's like how you put that together. I mean, it's, Quite difficult, is it not? It's, it's easier for us. Why? Because we live on this side of that birth. And it's easier for us because Jesus 
makes it clear. Matthew makes it clear. This is where I want you to stick a finger in nine, Isaiah nine, and flip in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter four. I'm keeping my finger in it because we're gonna go right back to, to Isaiah nine, but look at Matthew chapter four. Jesus' public ministry begins and note how Matthew records it. Matthew four, verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, this is Jesus, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great, Light for those dwelling in the region and here's how their darkness is described. The region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. You see, so it's like we immediately go when we read Isaiah, many of us would immediately go, "Yeah, yeah, that's Jesus. Well, it didn't come so easy for them. But we know that this is Jesus. We know in John 8, 12, Jesus himself proclaimed one of the great I am statements, I am the light. I am the life. And so this baby that we read about, flip back to Isaiah 9, flip back to Isaiah 9. In verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And then the words of descriptions of who he is, and we just... We just lit the candle of peace. We, we get that. Do we grasp, and this was the mystery for them, but do we, 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 you know, we grasp a child is born. There's the first verb, born. So if something's born, that's a human child. <laughs> but then we also note that it is a son that is what? What's the other verb? Given, given, i.e. it must... The light must come from outside of the darkness. There's no production of light within the darkness that'll dispel the darkness. It must come from without. It must come from God. God himself must intrude upon and enter in. And he does in this child, Jesus, whom we celebrate. What's the, what is the darkness? I, I want you to catch this. Note it, look in chapter, it's chapter eight. So just lift your eyes up a bit. Look at verse 19. What, what's the darkness that it's talking about that they're in? And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, that's a wonderful sentence. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Let me tell you what their darkness is. They're, they're consulting spirits and mediums. They're trying to talk to the dead. Look at verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. I love the phrase and it captures it well. And they will look to the earth. What does it mean? It's not like, hey, look at the dirt. No, it's they will look to themselves. They'll look around. They'll, they'll it, it, in, a, in a sense, you know, it's, it's, 
humanism gone totally awry, we can figure this out. We're smart enough. We're strong enough. Technology, do you understand? We will figure our way out of our darkness. And what does God say of that? Gloom, distress, and deep darkness. That's what you're in when you look for light from the earth. Can you imagine, I'm going back here, imagine 700 years before the birth, waiting. 700 years. I mean, what are, our country's 200 and a couple decades old. But that 700 years before the birth, before the birth of this child, they waited every year. Not this year. Not this year. Do you know how many generations die off? Not this year. Not this year. They didn't know when it was going to happen, but it was 700 years after Isaiah said that. But they're waiting. Here's the thing. When you wait like that, and you live in that kind of darkness, you can give up hope, or your hope can become so desperate and strong and longing and yearning. And so in the season of Advent, what do we do? It's, it's odd. It's, 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 there's a weird paradox for us where we live because here's the birth of Christ. We come out 2,000 years away from it. Historically, we know it. So, so when we say, hey, y'all, we need, to, we need to prepare ourselves for the birth of Christ, I get it. It's, it's like, well, we know he came. I mean, it's not, <laughs> we know when he came. We, but, 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 but the church historically has used this part of the church calendar to invite those who follow Jesus to sit with those who waited the 700 years and feel what they felt as they longed for this, as they longed for this deliverer. And so it's a, there's, a, there's a, a bit of tension here, but let me ask you to consider this. Now, we don't have time to unpack this fully, but when we think of Advent, you all, you all, I get it. You've got to use your imagination to feel the longing, don't you, right? You gotta, you gotta imagine what it must have been like for them, and I, and I get that. But we can also add this to our longing because Advent has always by the church been celebrated as three Advents. The Advent of the birth of the Savior, got that. Advent just means coming, <laughs> so we anticipate. Okay, got that, that's the, the, the Advent of redemption. But there's also for the church the advent of, of the day, of the present. Do you, you know, it's, it's you and I anticipating Christ in every moment of our life. It's the presence of the spirit in us. This makes sense. There's the advent, the longing for the birth and then for the presence of Christ daily and then for the advent that is to come. Now, you wanna sit with uh, Israel for 700 years and feel what they felt? Sit in your darkness Sit in your darkness, truly sit in the darkness of the world and, and all the darkness around us and, and, and feel this sense of, but he's coming back one day. And when he does, he's gonna set it all right. But to really long for that, can I say this? You gotta sit in your darkness. 
And that's what I'm going to invite us to do in this moment. This is, a, this is a critical part of Advent preparation. And so I'm going to ask you three questions, and I'm going to ask you to just name some things. Now, I, I said in the earlier service, you know, I, I got my phone. Sometimes I take notes on my phone. Some of you may want to write. If you'll write some of these things down, I think it can help you. You don't have to, but if you have a pen and paper, I can't give that to you now. You can, or you can write on your phone. Or you can just lock them away in your mind. But I'm going to ask you to name some things, okay? So you're going to have to name these things. And, and this is a spiritual practice to sit in our darkness, to feel it. I want to start here. I want you to name the darkness that's out there in the world. Now, in this, in this, this is like, what are the headlines on the news? What, think about the whole world and what, what's, what's, the, what's, what's the darkness in the world out there? And you open up the paper and you read the headlines. Just name some of those things right now, just in your mind. Where's their darkness in the world? Some of you just yell it out. You may step on each other and say over one of Just, this is top of the head. War. Hey. Say it loud, I can hear you. Evil. How's evil showing up though? Name evil in the world. Abortion. Say it again. Greed. Human trafficking. We can speak of the Israeli, you know, Hamas issue, and you understand that's one microcosm. Do you know there's 30 other wars happening right now in the world? People killed? Yeah, the world, there's, it's there. But I want you to bring it closer to home, and I want you to look in your sphere of life, and where's the darkness showing up there? I, keep, I told you guys about this card I keep that I'm writing when people ask me to pray and I'll write it down. And I pulled out my card this morning and I could list 10 darknesses in life that I know of that are people around me. I want you to do that for yourself right now. Just take an inventory of, of your world. Where do you see the darkness at work? Just name, name those things. What are some of those darknesses? Don't, don't be inappropriate in your sharing, but like if I took my card out right now, I could look at it, I, could, I, would, I would note divorce, cancer, suicide. What's there? It's in your world. What else? Rebellion, family. Boy, don't the holidays heighten in, in a strange way, the brokenness of homes, my own, you know, just home, just life. It does. We don't, want, we don't shove that out and go, no, 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 no. This is a season of light. See, I'm inviting you to say is, 
It's a season where we recognize the darkness of the world, the fallenness. Last thing I want you to think about, and I won't ask you to say anything about this one, but I, I want you to think about it, and I want you to at least name something. Where's the darkness in your own heart? Not out there. Just right there. Name it. Could be an attitude. Could be something left undone. Could be the words you've used recently. Just name the darkness. It's... We know in Christ we're forgiven of all our sins. We're clothed in his righteousness. But Paul reminds us the principle of sin remains. This is the necessary work of Advent. This is not just, let's all get sad. Let's glorify the darkness. No, no, no. This is the necessary work of Advent. You know, Paul says, or Jesus says, to whom much is, to the person who's forgiven much loves much. See, this is us sitting and going, just how bad a shape was I and am I that I need a savior? That's not a bad thing because it reminds us of just how much we need to be given the gift of a savior. Last passage, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 21, we're doing a brief theology of darkness. And I'm taking us to the last passage I want us to look at because when we sit in the three advents and we recognize in our time that there's a day coming when Christ will set all things right when we really recognize just how darkness remains okay the light has come and it will but but the dark there's darkness that remains but there's coming a day when all that I just asked you to think about, you won't even know, because it won't be. This is what the vision that John had, that God gave him of that day. Chapter 21, verse one, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If you've been close to death, and all of us are in some way, shape, or form, if you're close to loss and pain and brokenness, does it not stir in you and me? Oh, Jesus, come quickly. But if we don't sit there, I think, you know, and this is just, I think this is just immaturity, but there's that. There's, there's those who say, hold off, I got more I wanna do here, right? 
but when we recognize the brokenness. Look down at verse 22, Revelation chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city. Its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will remain the na- by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring to their bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. You all, the end of the story. You see this is the beginning of the story. God said, let there be light. And he was the light. And there's coming a day when there will be no need of sun and moon and stars (laughs) because he will be Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, your story of redemption begins with light, and it ends with light. And we want to recognize that in between, we work like crazy to make our own light. And the more light we make for ourselves, the darker it gets. Thank you, thank you for this season of Advent in which we sit in our darkness because it enlarges our capacity and our longing and our yearning for the light that is you. in this final week before we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Let us not fear the darkness. And when it strikes us in this coming week, let us not run from it, but sit in it. Because we know that we know that we know our Savior was born. He's died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He sits at your right hand and he's redeemed us. While the darkness is not fully removed now, oh, it will be. And we wait. In Christ's name, amen.